is Tim. Sorry. All right. Can you hear me? All right. Awesome. Good to be here this morning with everyone today. Finally, it's so nice to see everybody. Um, there's a lot that's been going on as of late, and a lot that's been happening. Be in prayer for our firefighters and our fires. One of my best friends is actually a firefighter, and he's right now dealing with this. Um, and so be in prayer for them. Be in prayer for, you know, the church. It's so nice when I come here to see everyone faithfully coming, faithfully being here. And uh, it's just, I feel like we need to start with a lot of prayer right now. And we look at the world, we see another wave or something of COVID and, and struggles that we see going on. So I think we can start this morning in prayer uh, before we open up the word today. So if you all join me. Heavenly Father, God, I just, we just come before you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done, what you continue to do. We praise you, Lord, for who you are. God, we ask that you would help us in this time right now, Lord God. Be with our our firefighters and, and those in this valley right now who are are having to deal with what's going on. God, be with this church, Lord God. Keep this church strong and moving forward and doing what you've called it to do. Be with each of our lives, Lord God. Help us to seek you in a new way this morning. And God, we pray for our service and the message today that as we open up your word, you would draw us into a deeper relationship with you as we hear your your words spoken through all time today. So God, I, I thank you. I pray for you to receive all the glory, praise, and honor that I would become less and less, that you would become more and more, and that we would just all seek you today. In your name, Jesus, your precious name, we are able to pray. Amen. Amen. Today I wanted to share a message that came out of my own struggles as of late. Um, you know, we just recently, my grandpa passed to be with the Lord, as many of you know, and this church was a huge blessing to my family. And during that time, I was, I was in a time of just deep prayer and fasting and, and communion with God. And I was praying for different things. There was a friend of mine who was sick I was praying for God to heal him. I was praying for my grandpa to get his strength back. You know, this was in the month leading up to him passing. I was praying for God to give me clarity in my life. I was in this time of heavy prayer. And one after another, it seemed like the answers to the prayers fell short. My friend was given 10 years left to live. My grandpa passed away, and the clarity of what I'm supposed to do in my life was, was very uh, unknowable. And so I, I struggled with that as I cried out to God. I said, God, what, what do you want from me? 
what, what do you want from me? What can I give you to help me? Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Have any of you guys been there? Oh, yeah. I like how my family, the entire row there, raised their hands and said, My Lord God. I hope I had nothing to do with that. And so I had that cry to God of what's happening. I was praying and, and what's going on? What do you want from me? And he led me to this passage in Micah. As I've, he led me there during that time. And, and this week, as, in this last couple of weeks as I've been preparing this message, this was where God brought me to to, to preach on this. Micah chapter 6. Now Micah's a, you know, one of the minor prophets. Last time I was here, I, I preached on Habakkuk. And I don't know why I'm in, I like to be in the minor prophets, but it's a good place to be. And so this is Micah. Micah was a prophet you know, during the time right before the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by Assyria. And the, you know, he was preaching to both kingdoms at this time, mainly to Judah, the southern kingdom. But he was preaching to both kingdoms of Israel and Judah, you know, the divided kingdom. And he was warning them, saying, you are not living a life following after your God. And you need to turn back to Him. And he was giving this warning. In fact, he predicts the conqueror of northern Israel in in chapter 1. And in his prophecy here, he's able to communicate almost as if he's as standing in the place of Israel, he's having Israel communicate with the Lord. And in Micah 6, we see this contention, this, this debate going on with Israel and the Lord. And Israel had that same, was at that same place that I think we've been in before. God, what are you doing? What do I need to do? <laughs> Why are you doing this? And so we have Micah chapter 6, and the first verses of this are really just a lead-in to the message God has, a message of what God has called His people to do, of, of the life He's calling His people to, to have from this point, from the beginning of history and, and into the church and for the rest of history. We see a powerful message in Micah 8, and so these verses lead into that. So Micah 6, Micah 6 1. And this is the Lord responding to that cry of of Israel, so to speak. Hear what the Lord says, Micah declares, and now we have God Himself speak. He says, Arise, plead your case before the mountains, let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against His people, and He will contend with Israel. O my people, in verse 3, O my people, What have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And so this is relevant to us in our life, our hardships. We cry out to God, what are you doing? And God's response, His question to them is, tell me, how have I wearied you? How have I hurt you? And that's where we see what God says. Micah 6.3 Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answered me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, 
Miriam. And O my people, remember when Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened with Shittim, the Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So I know there's a lot of funny words in there, funny names. What we have here is God saying, tell me, what have I done to you? Because if I remind you, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from slavery. I saved you. I brought you leaders. I brought you Moses, Aaron, Miriam. I have redeemed you. I protected you from the people of the world who came against you. I showed you my power. I showed you my redeeming work that you may know my righteous acts. So the people of Israel come before God with frustration, hurt, even accusations, and God's response to them is quite simple. Remember how I have redeemed you. That's what His response, I think, is to us. We come before God with frustration, anger, hurt, and at that time, that's what I was coming. Even accusations of this is your fault. You have the strength to stop all of this. And he says, how have I wronged you? Remember what I've done for you. No matter what happens, we remember what God has done. See, Israel was remembering the redeeming acts of what God had done for them. We today remember the redeeming act that God did for us. As Christ Jesus paid the price on the cross for us, died for us, so that we would be saved, we would be redeemed, we would be restored And that nothing can ever remove that. So no matter what happens in this life, God reminds us, remember what I've done to redeem you. Remember what I've done to restore you. Don't stand there and accuse me when you know that I am the one that saved you. In this world, the pain of this world, we're reminded of what Christ has done to redeem us. Reminds me of a quote And I like that word redemption because that's huge in what God's saying. Look at my redeeming acts. There's a quote from a movie called I Can Only Imagine, which I was actually watching this week. Makes me cry every time I watch this movie. Have have any of you heard of this movie, I Can Only Imagine, about the story of that song? Um, There's a dad in that movie, and the whole movie is about the redemption of this father who was abusive to his son, but his son followed the Lord, and his son came back to him. And his dad had, had come to know the saving power of God and was speaking to him. And there's a moment where his son's fixing a car. His dad's dying from cancer. And so they're getting these last few moments together. And his dad's just learning about God. And the dad asks his son, what's, what's a word for taking something that's broken and making it new? As the son was working on the car and as he was thinking about himself of how broken he was and how God had redeemed him. And the son says, there's a word for that. It's redemption. And that abusive man became a man of God and, and, and that story is just so powerful. And that's what happens to all of us. God takes us broken and sinful and He redeems us. And so we are reminded of what Christ has done to take our broken selves and redeem us. And so that is God's answer to the frustration of His people, the frustration of us. Remember that I have redeemed you. 
And so the people of Israel respond to God setting them straight. And we see that in verse 6 and 7. They respond to Him. He says, okay, you have redeemed us, so what do you want? What must we do to receive your love? What must we do to pay back for that redemption? Micah exposes a false attitude of the people, and I think it's an attitude that a lot of us have. What must I do to earn this? And so verse 6, Micah shows, almost, and you have to understand, this is him speaking on behalf of the people, and he's showing their absurdity. With what shall I come before the Lord then? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Or will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Or will the Lord, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And so you see in each of these lines of verse, the proposals of repaying God for what He's done increase in absurdity. It starts with a traditional sacrifice. Well, do we need to repay with sacrifice? Do we need to repay with thousands and thousands of sacrifices? Do we even need to repay with killing our firstborn children? Which is something God is completely against the law of God. And so through that absurdity, Micah teaches us a truth of faith. And we see it in Psalm 51 of David says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So what we see here is God's teaching us that the response to our God, who is this God who's done these redemption wor- redeeming works, is not a matter of earning those works, not a matter of earning salvation, or repaying Him for that salvation. But our response is a matter of worshiping Him. The Bible is very clear. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, our response to a God who has redeemed us normally becomes this way of saying, how can I repay you, God? How can I earn what you, how can I earn your goodness? When I cry out to God, I say, God, what do I need to do for you to fix what's going on in my life? How can I earn this? And we think about that with salvation. How can I repay you for saving me? Or how can I earn this? But instead, we see God says, no, this is a a matter of, not a matter of salvation, but of worship, because you have been saved by my hand through faith, not by anything you did. You have been saved freely. And so what we see here in Micah is, is the truth, that our response to such a God that would redeem us is to live a life of worship. Having such an amazing God should inspire worship of that God. That's how we respond to such a God. And we ask, well, what can I give? What does He desire of me? He saved me. I can't repay it. I didn't earn the salvation. He gave it to me as a gift. He redeemed me. What does He want from me then? We still have the same question. What does He want from me then? 
It's not a matter of salvation. And that's what the Israelites were showing. They said, well, how can we earn that? What must we do? The absurdity of what we must do. And God says, no. Not repayment. But to do what is good in my eyes. You see, God seeks what is beautiful in His eyes. Micah 6.8 He has told you, O man, what is good. So we come to the crux of the verse right here. It, we start with our, our question of God, our struggle with God. His response is, what have I done to wrong you? Look at how I've redeemed you. And so we say, well then how am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do? Do I need to earn this? And he says, no. I have done it. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. This is what I desire. Of those whom He has saved, He desires what is good. That term good is a beautiful word. It actually means what is beautiful. The Hebrew word means what is beautiful. I have told you, O oh man, what is beautiful. And what does the Lord require of you? And that term require means seek. What does the Lord seek of you, desire of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What we see here is a, is a truth of the Lord. We ask God, what do you want from me? And God says, I don't need anything from you. I have saved you. I have redeemed you myself. What I desire from those I've redeemed is this life of worship, this life of beauty. Romans 12, 1 and 2. My favorite passage. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as that living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, spiritual worship. So the Israelites were saying, how can I give a sacrifice worthy enough to earn this? And God says, no, I've done this. So now you can give your life as worship to me. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we begin to see this truth that, that the Lord is saying to us. Our life is not about what we must do to earn what God's done or, or how, what, what kind of sacrifice must we do to pay back what He's done. It's about living a life that is a sacrifice. It's about living a life of worship, not to earn salvation, not to repay salvation, but out of an inspiration from salvation, out of living a life that worships God. This is what God desires. And He lists three ways in which we worship the Lord in our life. He lists three ways in which, not, ne- not what to do to earn it, but what to do because of it. The first thing he lists is to do justice. Number one, the Lord God has told you what is good, Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you to do justice? We hear this term justice a lot in today's society. We hear the term social justice, which is something different than what we're talking about today. 
We're talking about this idea of biblical justice. And in Scripture, justice is, is, is uh, presented to us in two ways. Um, ret- ret- uh, retribution justice, which means paying back a wrong that has been done, and restorative justice, which is redeeming, which is living in a way that isn't right with God. But the idea of justice is that it's completely based on who God is. So what is justice? Is It is who God is. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. So when we think about this idea of justice, what we're really talking about is the standard of God. He is perfect. He is perfectly just. And the Bible is very clear that God is the standard of what is right. So when the Bible calls us to do justice as a way of worshiping God, of responding to such a beautiful God, it's telling us to live in such a way that we are reflecting God in our lives. When we talk about biblical justice, we need to start with understanding that what is just or what is right is determined by God's holy standard, not by us as man, not our holy standard. So to do just is to live in a way that is aligned with God. And injustice is whatever goes against God's standard, God's command, God's law. That's what real injustice is. Injustice is not inequity. Injustice is sin. That's injustice. Injustice is sin. So then to do justice, to live in right relation to others. To do justice is to live in a way that in our life, we are living the way Christ lives. We are living in a way that resembles the character of God and His goodness and His greatness and all that he is, we begin to live that way in our life. That's this idea of doing justice. Because when we're actually doing, when we strive to live justly, as we're striving to live according to God's desires, to live in obedience to God. That's really what we're doing when, we're, when we talk about this idea of to do justice. We begin to worship him in our life by reflecting his nature. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is what this passage in Micah is calling us to be. Be imitators of God. Live in a way where you are representing the character of God. Do what is right. Do what God has called you to do. He has shown you what is good. It's not what has, what you've been. It's this new person he's making you to live in such a way that you live a new life. Ephesians 4.22, Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we see this principle at work in Scripture. That we are called to live in a way that we resemble God in what we do. That's what do justice means. The word says that we are his workmanship created for good works. And what are those good works? Isaiah 1.17 Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. 
And in James, we know the word says, this isn't up there, but it says religion that is pure and undefiled is to visit orphans, widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You can go through the list of all the things God says. This is how to live correctly, to not follow the works of the flesh, but to follow the fruit of the Spirit. But I think Jesus sums it up perfectly in the golden rule. Matthew seven twelve. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So the first way we worship God is to do justice is in how we act. We reflect God in our actions. And when we begin to do that, when we begin to worship God in how we act, we begin to see the difference it makes in our life. It's all about our relations with others. This part is about our relationship with others. Do justice is about our outward relationship. We begin to see those relationships start to heal when we begin to walk in this way. How many of you have broken relationships in your life? Struggles in your life? My whole family raised their hand again. You're honest. We look at our life around us, and sometimes we think, well, I need the presence of God in my life, but I think a lot of the time we're not being the presence of God in our life. And so it makes a difference for the better. The second way the Lord declares to us, this is how you can worship me, is to love kindness, to love mercy. Micah 6, 8, do justice, love kindness. This word kindness is the beautiful Hebrew word, kesed. We've heard this word before. It means steadfast, loving kindness. In Scripture, this is the word that defines God. Exodus 34, 6-7 says, The Lord, this is to Moses, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children's and children's children to the third and fourth generation. So yes, God is perfect, righteous, good, and just. And He is the God that is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the descriptor of God all throughout Scripture. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The Bible says this is the kind of love, this is the kind of kindness, this is the kind of heart we are to have. To exhibit the quality of steadfast love that God has, we are to exhibit that in our own life. And this way we are reflecting God and worshiping Him in our very hearts. Matthew, Jesus Himself in Matthew 22 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you see, God's, the, what we see here is God's showing us this, this idea of we are to worship God in our hearts, in all that we are. We are to have this reflection of God, not just in our actions and what we do, but in our very hearts. 
the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, for God said, let the light shine out from darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So that's the next area we begin to worship God is in our hearts. We begin to love what He loves, desire and know His love. And as we know His love more, we begin to grow that love in us. And it produces joy in our hearts. And it begins to produce a new kind of way of seeing the things around us. We begin to love those around us the way Christ loves those around us. We begin to build up others around us the way Christ desires. When we have this love, this steadfast mercy, this this faithful love in our hearts, and that becomes who we are, we desire this first and foremost, it begins to produce joy in our life. Enjoying the life of others because what we're doing is now we're reflecting God not just in our actions but in our hearts. So that's the second way we worship God. And the third way God tells us to worship Him in this verse is to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. This verse here says to have a humble devotion to the Lord. Walk humbly with your God. If we live by the Spirit, Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Colossians 2.6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought also to walk in the same way in which he walked. In this verse, we, in these passages, we see this truth of Scripture that we begin, we can also worship God by walking in a devoted way close to Him. That deeper devotion with Him is the way we worship God. I think this is where I might struggle the most in my life. When we first become Christians, we think the, the first thing we need to do is start to act better. That's that first part. Do justice. Live the way God's called me to live. When I was first saved, in fact, my, my youth pastor is here today who led me to the Lord. When I first was saved, and he can tell you this, I was a troubled child. My dad's nodding his head very, very sternly. And I... During that time, I needed a lot of love and a lot of truth to tell me how to live differently, how to stop acting like my old self and walk in a new way. But then as I grew in the Lord, my heart began to change. I began to love mercy. And as my heart began to change, as I began to develop a heart that was like God, it became easier to walk like God did. But then I realized that the more I grew in the Lord and the more I was devoted to God and walked close to God and walked in step with God, the more He changed my heart and the more I began to walk like Him. So we see this truth at work here. God says, walk humbly with me. And in fact, it is through this walking humbly, this walking in submissive devotion to the Lord that He begins to change our hearts and that our hearts begin to produce a changed life. If you want to see more change in how you live, pursue 
a walk with the Lord, a humble, submissive walk with God, drawing close to Him so He can change your heart. This is what God does in our lives as He transforms us. When I talk with people who struggle in that, in that moment, they're struggling with either addiction or sin or some kind of area in their life where they just, it just has a hold on them. They always have the mindset of, I just need to do better. I just need to do what God's calling me to do. And that always, as I've seen, tends to bring failure. I just need to be right. I just need to be good. When what really we must do is be so devoted to God, so walking close to God, that He changes our hearts. And that begins to produce this victory in our life. And so this is the third point of of what God is calling us to do, is worship Him, not just in our actions, not just in how we feel in our hearts and our love, but to worship Him in a way that we are so close to Him, we are devoted to Him, that we can't help but reflect Him in all that we are. So this is true worship. And I think that's what the Scripture is, call, is showing us today. We are called to walk with God in such a way that it produces this life of worship. And we struggle with these different things in our life and we say, God, what are you doing? Just fix this. When really our life is so little compared to eternity with Him. So what does God want from us today? Not to just be a good person or love the right things or read my Bible enough. What He wants from us is a life that reflects Him. A life that worships the One who saved us. The One who redeemed us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. See, the desire of God, he says, he says, you know what is good. The desire of God is for us to love him and love one another. That's really what Micah is saying. Our lives in response to such a God that redeems us should be a life that worships God in all that we do in all the different instances of our life. And to walk with him so closely, we can't help but reflect him. And that is where today I think I struggle with that. I need to be more devoted to God in my daily life because when I look at my life, when I look at I'm struggling with my work or I'm struggling with my friendships or I'm struggling with my relationships or I'm struggling with my wife, and usually it's my fault. I've learned. It's not because God's not doing what I need Him to do for me. It's not because I'm I'm I need to do more for Him to, to earn his, his hand in my life, when I begin to struggle with these things, I begin to realize, wow, how much that time have I been in devotion to Him lately? How often have I put Him first? And when I begin to, to be more devoted to Him in my heart, to walk so close to Him that I can't not but think about Him in all that I do, Man, I begin to see the world the way He sees it. And then I begin to walk the way He walks. 
And then I begin to see his presence in my life. Because what's happening is that verse declares as we are being transformed to be like him. You ask, why can't I have the presence of God in my life? The presence of God is in your life. Be devoted to it. Walk close to it. Uh, Allow that presence to shine out from you. It's a simple, simple thing that the Lord teaches us here, but it's so important. I started this, this message by asking, what does God want from me? This is what He wants. This is what He desires from us. Not to repay Him for what He's done, not to be perfect, not to earn it, not to do things because those are the things I'm supposed to do as a Christian or as a pastor or as a father. I'm not father yet. Oh, I got me. As a, as a, as a mother. <laughs> no, what He desires from His people is a life that glorifies Him and all that they are. And that's what this passage describes. It describes a life of worship. The people of God were angry with Him. He reminded them of His redeeming work in their life. And He says, no, I don't want all those things. What I want from you is you. Is you worshiping me. Everything else. Everything else hinges on that point. Our life is, needs to be a life of worship. What is good, oh man? You know what is good. What is good? What is beautiful in God's eyes? To walk so closely to Him, so devoted to Him, that His glory transforms your heart and your heart transforms your actions so that all that you are can do nothing but glorify Him in all that you do. Begin to do that in your life. That's my encouragement for us today. Begin to do that. Begin to walk in a deeper devotion. We can all find a deeper way of walking in devotion with the Lord. Some of us, it is reading the Bible every day. Some of us, it's maybe putting Him first in my life when I've been so concerned about this, my job, my my career, my, my sickness. Walk in devotion and let Him change your heart. Let Him change your character. And then watch what He does with everything else. That's what we're called to do. Live a life of worship. Then watch what He begins to do in everything else. Don't worry about all the other stuff. Do what He called you to do. And yes, there's many purposes, many individual purposes for each one of us, but this principle is the truth for all of God's people at all times forever. He has told you what is good to live a life of worship. Watch what he does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word today. God, we pray that this word, that we don't have to live a life where we try to repay you for what you've done or or earn your help in our life. Do something 
to get you to help us. No, you are in control. You are already there. And you've said, all I desire is beauty from your life. And what is beauty, Lord? It's reflecting you. Because you are the ultimate standard of beauty. We are to reflect you in what we do, in our hearts, and in our devotion to you. We are to be so close to you that we can't help but be transformed by your light that shines into the darkness. So God, I pray for everyone today that they would hear this word, that they would hold tight to it, that they would be more devoted to you today. That maybe their heart isn't in the right place. It it isn't in the loving kindness of you. That they need to pursue that deeper. Or maybe maybe they've, they've not walking in the way you've called them to walk. Lord God, help us to be so devoted to you that the rest of that can't help but be transformed. Lord God, help us to reflect you in our life so that we can't help but bring glory to you. And God, show us your power that as we do that, as we worship you and all that we are, we can see all that you can do in this world as we wait for the next world to come. And we, are, we can't wait for that time to come, but, but your plan is not done here. And we are a part of that. So God, help us to live these lives of worship so we can be your hands and feet in the world. God, we praise you. We thank you. I thank you for everyone here today. I pray that they would be uplifted by your word. Strengthen us. Protect us with your hand of mercy. And God, we give you all praise, honor, and glory today. In your beautiful name, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, we pray. Amen. Amen. We worship with me. One last.